Charles Anderson, uh, CEO at Nest. How are you? How was your Christmas? Good morning. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, not very eventful here in London, but good time with the family. Do you know, I, I'm not a million miles away from you, actually. I'm, I'm only over in North London myself. So uh, <laughs> look, I, I've, I've got to jump in. I've got to mm. ask you, which could be a very, very important question. What's <laughs> the deal with that samurai sword behind you? <laughs> Uh, from Japan, handmade. It was a very nice present. I, I have to keep it in, in the sitting room. Uh, but uh, it's, it's never been used in, in any violent manner. So. <laughs> that is, really that, that's incredible. So who, who got it for you? Like, what's the story behind that? Uh, just a friend from that area. Uh, and then they knew kind of an artisan that, that makes them there. So it was uh, just gifted across. Uh, a handmade samurai sword. There we are. That's one hell of a gift. One hell of a gift. <laughs> um, so speaking of gifts, obviously, um, you know, there, there, there's a lot going on with you guys. Um, there, there's a lot to be excited about. Um Absolutely. With Nest, I mean, 2023, there seems mm -hmm. to be a lot of scepticism heading into this year. Um, how does, does that change anything for you? Or is this really now? I mean, looking at what you're doing, mm -hmm. there must be more demand for your services more than ever. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, what was it, even earlier this year when we are talking about private control of your identity and the ability to own AML KYC and, and have kind of the next level or next generation of, of wallets, uh, people looked at us uh, like we were crazy <laughs> and some even got angry. Uh, but in the past few weeks, even the past few months after everything that's gone through, uh, we had never seen so much kind of demand and openness and, and understanding for, for what we've been talking about for a long time. So it's, it's looking very good for us. Yeah, yeah certainly the sentiment and, and the kind of positioning uh, has changed quite dramatically. And, and so, so, I mean, oh, in practical terms, mm -hmm. what's the benefit to the, the end user? I mean, like one thing that we're seeing more and more around right now is that people that have never, and odd enough, this this is the last couple of months more than ever um, with everything that's going on in the crypto world. Mm -hmm. We're seeing people that have not really bought crypto before, people that have not bought NFTs, have not been exposed to blockchain technologies, okay. all of a sudden joining the realm right. community. Mm -hmm. um, so they're, they're still actually at still early stages. I mean, so, I mean, yeah. what are the benefits to, to the end user, I guess, with a product such as yours? Right. Um, I mean, that's, it's quite a loaded question. Uh, there, there are quite a few kind of presumptions when you're talking about the current solutions, right? And how people at the moment uh, have access to their wallets, right? And I say access rather than ownership. Um, so it's where, where to begin to a certain extent. Um, at the moment, the wallet structure is a pseudo-anonymous kind of access to, say, a walled garden or to an ecosystem, right? And you can have cold storage or you can, you know, sign in and, and then maybe control certain limited assets, right? Um, but when we're talking about Web3 or when we're talking about different asset forms and structures and the, the practical use of these, uh, nothing is really decentralized until the user owns and controls everything. That's, that's from their identity to the actual asset. So when we look back at kind of the current wallet structure, the pseudo-anonymous uh, solutions, as it were, 
there isn't the capacity to have your real world ownership attached to that. There isn't the capacity to confidentially sign and execute uh, a variety of real world transactions, right? A, a variety of provenance or authenticated provenance, right? Um, from who uh, owns that across to how you want an asset signed or sold or moved, right? Across any network. So it's kind of, when you're asking the benefit of, you know, what what our product would bring or these kinds of things, it's fundamentally a repositioning of what your wallet can do and what's included in your wallet and who owns that wallet. Um, so I guess if you take a traditional example, you, you've got a you know leather wallet in your back pocket, right? You've got your ID card, you've got your credit card, maybe some cash. You're not going to let anybody else hold on to that, right? You you decide when you pull it out and you decide where to use it. And that's kind of the, the, the basic principle, right? Because at the moment, the digital wallets can't do that. And they're usually sitting somewhere else, right? Um, so we're bringing it back to the user to allow individual encryption, individual control, and the ability to use not only their ID, but also the assets and that wallet function, uh, however they like. So it's it's kind of a pure decentralized implementation of of data, right? Which includes ID or assets. Sure. And I mean, in terms of the next steps for you guys, like really, really what's what's the mission with this? Where's it going? Uh, again, a load, loaded question and, and kind of where to begin. You know, I, uh, I like yeah. I like open questions, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I think it's always sequential, right? And there are always different timeframes uh, and stages for the, the whole kind of line or, or sequence. At the moment and in the short term, I think uh, NFT ticketing, uh, real world use cases, uh, say uh, geolocation triggered NFTs, uh, private control of different assets and even AML KYC for, for digital assets and, and custody. I think that's uh, the short term. Uh, short to near term. Uh, moving forward, uh, I think the marketplace structurings uh, and the ability to kind of package and privately exchange a variety of different data as an asset is, is really where it's going. So uh, slow implementations for, for more real world use cases and then slowly expanding the definition of what an NFT is or can do. And I mean, so this is a huge undertaking. Sure. Yeah. Huge, right? I mean, and so how have you personally got to this stage? Hmm. As in, what's your background? Sorry. Ah, uh, yeah, right. Um, well, I come from uh, Google and Aegis and, and a few others, uh, mostly around APAC, uh, but then spent a long time as an uh, art concierge. So I was kind of in between very high-end artists and very uh, high-end or demanding clientele as well. Uh, so everything from, from body art to commercial design to installations, I was the intermediary between the artist and, and the, the company or the venue. Um, and I guess about five, six years ago, uh, people were calling smart contracts smart, but it really uh, kind of made me angry that they were just acting like dumb escrow, right? And um, the, the problem statement for me, I think, was looking at something, you know, so hands-on and so direct and so kind of personalized, like, like an art uh, commission, or let's say like a tattoo or like an installation. Um, how do you 
take that contract and allow those two parties to have immutable security and privacy in the execution of that and then pay or get paid in fiat or crypto and have that managed directly. Um, so we, we solved for that for, for a really long time. And it, it sounds kind of simple, um, you know, a real world contract uh, and then allowing the participants to go through and execute. But when you start breaking it down to the stages, it's, it's everything from ID to uh, notary capacities, to registration, to GDPR compliance, to interoperable selection of, of networks and then funding or settlement, right? Um, so that that's really what's what's taken the most time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of where it came from. Yeah, I was going to say nothing. Nothing about what you guys are uh, working towards that sounds simple. <laughs> uh, it, to a certain extent, yes. Uh, I mean, it's it's. I think in in some ways it's a very simple concept. Um, people need to have confidential, real world ownership control uh, of what they do and uh, how they pay or get paid. Uh, where it gets really complicated is saying, uh, you know, putting elements of, of the chain on your phone so that you can own and control it, uh, pay or get paid in fiat or crypto privately across any network, uh, automate uh, contracts and executions with, with real world oracles and these kinds of things. So that, that's where it gets a little complicated, but conceptually, hopefully simple. And are, are there any limitations to someone having so much like control and ownership over their assets? Um, it, it's, it's a weird uh, positioning. There, there aren't, uh, but it is down to their choice, right? And it's also down to the region. I think uh, just like AML KYC or just like... Uh, people, you know, executing a contract or going to a bank or, or performing any kind of daily activity. In the digital space, we also forget that everybody also has a physical presence of where they're logging in from and what they're doing, right? So when you say, you know, are there any limitations? I think a lot of that is answered by who's logging in from where and what they want to decide to follow or not, right? I think it's, it's more making that choice personal um, and then uh, we can't really answer how they're going to select to use it right so it's, it's more that that open-ended capacity when you give that level of privacy and control so it's, it's really something we can't answer but <laughs> the user can't and, and and where does it sit in terms of like regulation is it something mm -hmm. whereby i mean are you an advocate for the right regulation obviously or is it something where you're actually in order for Web3 to work as a space, as an industry, you know, it has to be purely down to the responsibility of the individual. Um, I think the, the choice selection has to be between the, the individual or between the participants, right? Um, so the, we, we can't answer that across the global space, right? Um, there, there's too many different considerations. I think the only way Web3 works is if you give this choice selection for following the legalities and doing things correctly privately into the hands of the user, right? Um, so, I mean, the, the bridge is, the, the missing bridge is that real world ownership control. It's not purely theoretical. It's not some ethereal layer that's just digital. Um, there's also a person behind it that has real world uh, choice selection and ramifications and ownership and these things. So it's that bridge between who's using it and why, and that 
100% they need to be able to choose the legalities of their jurisdiction, of the contracts, of uh, you know the exchange, and, and have those protections, but they don't need to make that public, and it doesn't need to limit their choice across the way. So 100% for doing things correctly, but making that choice private and fragmented um, to, to make it direct for the user to choose as it were. I'm so, again, for mm. pure transparency, mm. I still struggle on my side to come to terms with how Web3 works without yeah. regulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I feel yeah. more specifically within like the crypto space. I, I just, um, yeah. I just, so yeah, when, when you're saying without that. regulation, what, what do you mean? Um, do you know what it is? Mm. I, I just, mm. human nature, I think mm. human nature, any, anything like crypto related, mm. um, when there's money involved, Right. people will look to see as we've seen with like sam bankman freed they'll look mm. to expose people's weaknesses um mm. and take advantage of that mm. and they get away with it in the long <laughs> run right? so I, I think from yes. that perspective uh certainly certainly i mean there, there's a lot in that right um the, the concept of web3 and then also the concept of of kind of you know greed or centralized systems or taking advantage of of that kind of uh imperfect view into operations or, or something i'm not sure how best how best to really say it um but i think web3 as a concept uh is is a user-led control of, of data yeah. and assets right yeah. um so i think generally right instead of you know signing into centralized services and web 2 or having other people keep your profile or just having certain sets of options of big providers web 3 can can fragment and, and kind of dissipate that but it's not possible until each user right um going into web3 has ownership control potential of their data and of their assets right until it actually is fragmented because either they own it or or somebody else does right? sure. um, so those those are kind of the, the ideas so when you're saying you know uh, you don't see how web3 really uh, is enacted I, I think that absolutely correct right now it's it's just a concept uh, until people really have the potential for that ownership control and until people have that privacy um fundamentally that is the missing infrastructure um before web3 can kind of materialize right uh, right now it's it's purely theoretical yeah. sure i mean and in the same way that i think the internet probably was 25 years ago <laughs> yeah uh, absolutely um, yeah. um i mean but sticking on your background i mean where where were you educated <laughs> uh Quite a few places. Uh, it's it's not very easy to say. Uh, I was uh, born in New Guinea, and then raised in mainland China. Uh, a lot of time in in Hong Kong, but also Australia, uh, West and East Coast uh, America, and, and England as well. Uh, so quite a few universities and boarding schools and and other things. <laughs> so how, how did you go? And sorry, how how old were you living until you were living in China? Uh, born in New Guinea and then England. And then I think I was about uh, six to nine in mainland China and then nine on nine to 14 in Hong Kong uh, and then back and forward between different schools. Uh, and so, so do, you, do you speak uh, Mandarin? Uh, very badly. Mandarin and Cantonese. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know all the swear words perfectly and right. can order yeah. something. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And um, so what was that like? I mean, starting off in, mm. in China? 
it must have been very very different to the experience you had in in the west uh yes <laughs> I, I guess i don't have uh too many comparison points and obviously very different stages uh but my parents were in charge of unesco so uh education development uh again in in new guinea uh and then across to mainland china and this was during the uh, height of kind of the the communist era i guess uh and one of my first uh, i mean a lot of stories uh to go through but uh one of the first really uh vivid memories was was coming out of beijing during Tiananmen and uh making it on the train to to come down to hong kong uh and then we saw the hong kong protests how many years later uh four or five years ago so it's kind of a nice little cycle for <laughs> china you in tiananmen square when when in direct 89 yeah giving my age away a little bit but as well yeah one of the first memories so uh my family were, were close by we had to go through there to get the train down to hong kong and we had and the, uh, so you were essentially escaping china Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the protesters on one side and uh, police on the other nearly tipped over the bus, but we we made it through and, and jumped on one of the last trains out of there. And Sorry, so, down to Hong Kong. so your bus was actually being cra crowded and surrounded by protesters. Yeah, yeah. To, to what were they trying to do? Were they trying to break onto the bus or? No, I, th I think we had. I mean, they were just taking over the roads or something, if I remember correctly. I kept my head down for for most of it, but uh, we we had to pass through to get to the train station of uh, close to Tiananmen, I believe. Yeah. I'm guessing your parents probably didn't want you to see it. What was going on? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, uh, you don't have to go down this route, and this, <laughs> this is a loaded question. But I mean, how how does how does uh, that experience shape you and, and do you see any comparisons between what happened um in the 80s with china to what's going on today yeah 100 um i think it it did influence uh, obviously quite a bit and i think the potential uh, for blockchain or, or dlt more broadly uh is is kind of that immutable trust capacity or that that true democratization of trust and and immutability i guess um so when we i mean one of the first features that we were going through is something called open posts right um, so instead of twitter tiktok or instagram uh, we give people even on the mobile app the ability to create a post and put it on chain uh so it's kind of an old developer's trick but but once it's there nobody can delete it so I think that uh, anti-establishment to a certain extent, or oh. that that kind of uh, autonomy has uh, enacting that has, has always really stuck with me quite a bit. Um, and then for the comparisons or the details um, for how it was going through with, with the protests, and we saw you know kind of the rise, I was there for, for the rise of the protests when they were trying to introduce the legislation in Hong Kong right across to the height of, of the uh, demonstrations. We got tear gas outside the office in Central, uh, just, just walking through uh, across to the complete shutdown of the city. And, and uh, basically there were stormtroopers like on, on every corner and, and uh, saw a lot uh, go through on that. But, Yes, the, the kind of centralized control and restrictions or limitations that can just be forced upon, you know, whole cities or, or whole groups kind of instantly and uh, most of them not having an ability to, to have a voice or uh, any tangible form of, of recourse or any alternatives, right, um, for, you know, how to communicate or, or what they're going through. I think it's, it's a major, uh, 
element that uh, is really fuel for for kind of the web three ethos in in certain ways uh and and individual empowerment right um definitely yeah. so i mean and i mean again i, I don't want to um, jump down the the china rabbit hole too much but <laughs> in terms of in terms of what you're building again mm. it is i wouldn't say it's anti-establishment but again mm. it's about taking personal responsibility do, are you familiar with Evergrande and what's going on in China with their their property market at the moment? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Um, so, just just as the highlights, yeah. So yeah, just, just to give some sort of like uh, recap, Evergrande, mm -hmm. huge property construction yeah. company, been building overbuilding homes for mm. I think at least the last decade, if not maybe right, fifteen right. years. Mm. Um, people have been buying them off plan, taking right. out mortgages on these properties on the assumption that property is always going to go up. Mm -hmm. madness um and essentially they haven't the, the the evergrande haven't been using the funds appropriately or sorry allegedly i, I don't know i'm not a lawyer but allegedly <laughs> they've been misappropriating funds and people have now been and they've ended up with homes no. um or sorry they've been end up with mortgages on homes that are not finished because right. they've been them off plan sure, um, sure. so in in terms of that you know how, how do you how does a product like Nest, and again, you mentioned about mm. smart contracts briefly, uh, mm. what could we do to ensure that mm. there's, uh, you're always going to have governments in place, and I'm not anti-government in any, sure. we need governments, we just need the yeah. right governments with the right powers, Absolutely. but how, do, how does a product like Nest give more responsibility, give more ownership mm. to the individual mm. so that they're not all of a sudden buying a property off plan only for it mm -hmm. not to be built? <laughs> I again a super super loaded uh, question in detail, but I like it. I like it. Okay, sorry. We'll get, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, yeah. uh, break breaking it down. I think um, you know there there are a few different questions and a few different scenarios that that are kind of layered in there, right? Because we're yeah. we're potentially talking about many different jurisdictions. So I think from the user side or from the participation side, the ability for, let's say, the potential investor to own and control their ID um, and their choices of, you know, the terms and the details of that participation, right? And to streamline that portion. So that's kind of the removal of the lawyers and, and different structures, right? Or the streamlining of, of that. Um, then when you're going into, uh, the other side of the offering or, or the contract side. <clears throat> Sorry, it's not that um, you, you can never really eliminate bad actors, right? Across yeah. anything. I mean, yeah. it, it, it is what it is and we've seen it uh, going through, but what you can do is fragment risk. And what you can do is have a plethora of, of precautions and assurances and structures that, that weren't available before, right? Um, I, I'm trying to say on the Evergrande example, I think there's, there's a few other areas like uh, tokenization of property uh, and different notary services and different uh, fiat or crypto kind of settlement solutions, which we're uh, already working on. Um, but for the Evergrande in particular, um, the, I guess, the private control and the direct participation, right, um, is a fractionalization of the risk itself. So it's not only the capacity for an individual to, to privately participate, still follow all legal requirements and, and details, but have that private ability for participation. 
Um, but the idea isn't, uh, sorry, the idea, and I guess just like FTX or just like Evergrande or, or these areas, when you are able to automate that contract, when you're able to have that you know, on-chain and, and broken down and, and when correctly structured and funded, the risk is that contract itself. It is not the, the combined centralized uh, pooling of those, right? So there, there's a lot to say about the fragmentation of risk, even with like say centralized exchanges. Um, but if you're talking, I guess I'll try to go with very, very basic <laughs> and, and different ideas. Um, let's say with Evergrande, right? And let's say with the stages of production, uh, there could be uh, very easily real world automation for achievements and release and uh, stages uh, for that contract, right? And also automated defaults and fallbacks and allocations and transference of funds following certain areas. So you, you, you're fragmenting the risk not only between the participant and the company and the offering, um, a lot to say around that, but also for real world stages, say of completion or execution or timings. Uh, so rather than this uh, centralized uh, potential, right? Uh, or fighting to get something back with a thousand other people that have also been ripped off. Yeah, it's, it's that real world uh, stage or, or structure. Sorry, a long answer there. No, great answer. Like it, it, it's a complex situation. and. You know, it's resulted in protests across across China, right? You, um, you know, people have just stopped paying their mortgages. Um, yeah. So yeah, but with, with stuff like that, see, I mm. find that really interesting in terms mm. of actually because it, it again, it's protecting the consumer. Mm -hmm. And again, in terms of like blockchain technologies, I mm. think that that's really where it has to be in terms of practical. Uh, mm. a practical use case it has to be something whereby actually we are going to have people buying properties mm. i think we can all say that actually home ownership is one of the best parts of capitalism no matter how difficult it is it's better than sure. how i can imagine it's probably better now than it was 200 years ago um <laughs> indoor plumbing yeah. and stuff so um but you know in in terms of real world applications i think mm. we need more use cases like that and i do feel yeah. we're at a tipping point um, no, 100%. Uh, but I think uh, one of the other areas is just, you know, if you're talking about that ability for private participation and fractionalization of risk or, or limitation of risk, right, um, for that, uh, basically that can apply to any form of sale or engagement. And that's the crazy part, right? Because it's just different terms in that same private contract. It's just different limitations. It's just different uh, triggers, right? Yeah. So if you're talking about your, your TV subscription, if you're talking about uh, booking a massage somewhere or, or uh, booking a holiday or booking a hotel uh, or even getting a job, right? Where, what, interaction couldn't benefit from that kind of privacy protection and on automation. And that's really the trouble we're seeing when we're talking about this. It's just that there are too many options. We have to allow others to kind of narrow down the use case for this um, and, and bring something a little more tangible because it, it's literally everything <laughs> that, that could be incorporated. Yeah. And I mean, and so, I mean, for, for you guys really, mm. You're again sitting at the. Uh, oh, you're almost sitting at a precipice, right? Yeah. Um, 
where where do you take this in terms of like the nft space yeah um it's a stage by stage and and different implementations i think where we're seeing it right now um and very interestingly are uh niche use case i would say niche but but again specific um industries so ticketing and in real life scanning um that's that's a major one because you can also limit scalpers and, and other kinds of uh, sure. major industry industry problems sorry uh for the ssd id or the self-sovereign did and also another form of nfts we're uh, releasing something with streaming uh, so encrypted multimedia streaming, um, you know, the sharing of passwords and the, the session uh, encryption and all these is, is a big problem. So that's that's one very exciting piece. Uh, and then also things like uh, memberships uh, and different forms of uh, records and, and data. I think that more than more than just a picture NFT, <laughs> there's a lot of different uses um, and in real life scanning for attributes and, and these kinds of things. So you can show up and show your NFT and have it scanned uh, to claim something, you know, drink at a bar or whatever the case might be. Yes, I always think like football clubs are like the obvious yeah. one, right? Sure. Like season tickets will yeah. just be an NFT. Yeah. Um, and, and it'll give you, yeah, I mean, in terms of like uh, partnerships for, for Ness, mm -hmm. um, are you currently actively looking for new, well, I imagine you're looking for new partnerships. How are you guys approaching it, shall we say? um yeah i mean we we have quite a few so it's usually through through uh selection and, and introductions but of course always interested in, in different use cases uh right now quite a lot with the gaming spheres um so esports and, and different in-game elements and assets that's going to be taking up a major piece of, of time um the other collaborations and and kind of you know, top tier uh, implementation, digital asset custody uh, with AML KYC, that's with uh, established uh, players and, and uh, major groups in that space. And then for me, uh, artwork as well. Um, so not only artist management, but also uh, copyright libraries. Uh, so we have AI solutions for copyright infringement uh, recognition and also scanning and, and prohibiting the minting of uh, registered uh, artworks before, uh, before they become NFTs. So it's quite a lot of those and, and quite a few. I won't I won't go name dropping, but uh, no, yeah, no, it's, it's, you it's can leave that to me. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> there we are. I, I actually, I actually, without saying which football club, I've been chasing like quite a lot of like football clubs yeah. because yeah, yeah. they they they're actually really pushing to get into this space. Um, yeah. And with like the on live events, like, I want mm. them to kind of uh, donate uh, stuff from the footballers or managers yeah. um, and just use that to like raise money and mm. get for pro. I mean, it will go back to the charities that we work with, but right. there's, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity to help like the younger generation. Uh, enter into this space really, Absolutely. which we do through the university. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. So, I mean, mm. I, and I I ask everyone this. I'm kind of going off yeah. script a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. At the end of each year, I'll always say to Jan, twelve months from now, mm -hmm. if, where would we have to be in order for you to look back and say that this the next year has been a success? <laughs> but, twelve months from now. Uh, um, I think uh, 
that that's a good one. Um, I'm trying to to break it down to a few key areas, uh, but for us, uh, and I'm going to keep it a little technical. Uh, it's the ability to have uh, blockchain participation directly on your phone or your mobile device and private control, and the ability or the understanding that you can pay and get paid uh, through smart contracts in, in not only fiat or crypto, but you can sign and use that however you want. Um, so for me, it's, it's broadening that understanding and, and putting that kind of control in people's hands. Uh, that, that's what 12 months from now uh, should be happening. Well, look, look forward to seeing it. Um, you know, in, in terms of Nest, um, exciting project, really exciting. And I've got to say that you're a very interesting dude. Uh, <laughs> between the sam samurai sword and uh, you know Tiananmen Square, uh, I'm sure you've yeah, got yeah. stories to tell. <laughs> a few stories. <laughs> but yeah, Charles, it's, mm. it's been really great to speak with you today. So thank you no, very much. Pleasure. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Cheers, bro.